Hey guys, thank you for joining us today on Talking Scripture. Hopefully you've heard that we are now on podcasting apps. You can find Talking Scripture on Apple, Stitcher, and Spotify. Can you take a minute and just rate and subscribe to our podcast? That will go a long way in helping people find us. Welcome to Talking Scripture. I'm Mike. And I'm Bryce. And today we're going to be talking about Revelation 17 and 18. This is going to be the collapse of the order of the world. So the whore of all the earth, Babylon the Great, is going to fall. And and that's in 17. And in 18, the saints are going to be called out of Babylon. And the people that supported her are going to cry and they're going to moan. and They're going to bellyache. And this is all part of John's packaging of dualism. So the woman that is the church, she's clothed in the sun. The opposite of the woman is going to be the whore. And so the image that John wants to portray is a woman that's beautiful. She's sitting on a dragon with seven heads and she has a cup in her hand and she's drinking the blood of the saints. And so with that image in mind, Bryce, why don't you go ahead and pick it up and talk a little bit about, you know, what's going on here and how it applies to a Latter-day Saint audience. So everyone go back and read First Nephi chapter at least 14 before you read Revelation 17. Because I remind you, remember how Nephi saw the same thing? Nephi saw the end of the world, but wasn't allowed to write about it. But this is where they transition. There's a whole lot of carryover because in Revelation or in First Nephi chapter 14, he sees that the great whore of all the earth, the abomination, the mother of harlots, is all of the false religion. And so you got to remember, 1 Nephi 14.10, there are only true two churches. Now, we're not talking brick and mortar churches. We're talking two systems, two ways. There are only two churches, the church of the lamb and the church of the devil. And anyone that doesn't, isn't led to the lamb is worshiping in the church of the devil. So is it possible that members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are worshiping in the church of the devil? And is it possible that people have who have no religious affiliation or find themselves in a, a, a different church are actually worshiping the Lamb? And so let's be careful that we're not drawing names and pointing fingers because there are two churches, the church of the Lamb and the church of the devil. And all throughout scriptures, Jesus often portrays religion as his wife, you know, his church as the bride. And anytime the bride goes cheating on her faithful husband, then she's a whore. She's a harlot. In the Old Testament, Hosea was actually at Hosea the prophet was asked to marry a prostitute, symbolic of the fact that the church in Hosea's day was cheating on her, their faithful husband, which is Christ. So it's a very common image about Christ being married to the church, but that she sometimes is unfaithful to him and cheats on him with other people. And so this whore has cheated on Christ with all the kings of the earth and all the worldly ways, and she represents all the false churches that are out there. And you begin to see some parallels before. So the woman clothed in the sun, Revelation chapter 12, the true church, woman clothed in the sun, wearing stars on her head and standing on the moon, she has a cup in her hand, at least symbolically she has a cup in her hand, and in that cup is wine, the sacrament wine. I know we take we drink water today, but you know Jesus used wine, and wine is kind of the emblem of the sacrament. So the true church has a cup with wine in it. Every single Sunday, the woman hands you a cup, and symbolically there's wine in it. But this whore 
also has a cup in her hand. But in her cup, there's alcohol. It's fermented wine that's intoxicating. And she's trying to get everyone drunk with the wine of her fornication. And so here we sit. Are you fooled by the imitation or do you know the truth? Now, how many scriptures can you think of that talk about an imitation versus the truth? Think of Lehi's tree of life dream. You've got the tree, which is desirable to make you happy. And then you've got the imitation tree, which is the building. So are you fooled by the imitation? Are you fooled by an imitation happiness? Does she get you drunk with her false ideas? For example, alcohol itself, I think, is an imitation for the Holy Ghost. People drink alcohol when they are really seeking the comfort and the peace that comes from the Holy Ghost. But that's an imitation. It's a fake way. So are you fooled by the imitation? Are you one of those who fall prey to the harlot? Now, if you are, if you get drunk with her false ideas and her false concepts, let me show you what's going to happen. If you go to chapter 18, it talks about verse 2. John sees Babylon. I cried mildly for a strong voice saying, Babylon, the greatest fallen has fallen and is become the habitation of devils and a hold of every foul spirit. And then I love this imagery, a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. And I just think this imagery is, here's a woman who's offering you this intoxicating wine in contrast to the true church who's offering you sacramental wine. wine. And if you're fooled, she leads you into a trap, a cage. Those of you who've seen Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, the scene where the child catcher dresses up the cage like an ice cream parlor and he lulls the children out. That's what's happening in our day. There are so many false ideas, false religious concepts that are lulling us into a cage. They are intoxicating. And if you fall prey to them, one of those being that the creature is more important than the creator, that you should worship the creature, give in to the natural man and the desires of the natural man instead of obeying the desires of the creator. The creator. If you fall into that trap, it's, a to- it's intoxicating. Boy, that's just worse than alcohol. The problem is, She pulls you into a cage full of unclean and hateful birds. And that's the image here in chapter 17 is you've got a beautiful woman clothed in the sun. Now, just as a contrast, maybe just two minutes on this. If you've ever been to the Nauvoo Temple or the Salt Lake Temple, you'll notice that they're covered with suns, moons, and stars. But they're in the wrong order. A lot of people think that that means celestial, terrestrial, and telestial. And it certainly is a reference to that. But if you look at it closely, stars are at the top, sun is in the middle, and the moon is at the bottom. Especially if you look at the Nauvoo Temple, the moon stones. Well, that's not in reference to celestial, terrestrial, telestial, as much as it seems to be a reference to this woman clothed in the sun, standing on the moon, wearing stars on her head. The temple is an aspect of this woman, this beautiful, wonderful woman who is offering us the wine of the covenant. As contrast to that is the harlot who is offering us the intoxicating imitation 
to see if we'll let go of the tree, let go of the rod, and fall into her trap, her cage full of unclean and hateful birds. So beware of the imitation. Now, just as a side note, back in Lehi's dream, and remember, if this is Nephi, I mean, this is flowing out of Nephi's interpretation of Lehi's dream. So you've got to connect Lehi's dream to the book of Revelation. And what flows out of Lehi's dream is how do you avoid the imitation? How do you avoid the deception of not falling prey to the imitation? You hold to the rod. Holding to the rod will lead you to the tree and away from the building. So, That's kind of who this woman is. The rest of this chapter is the fact that she's going to fall and those who worship her are going to mourn her loss. So with this, there's a really uh, interesting word in verse six, where it says, when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And that word, it's used in the aorist tense, uh, thamoso, but it's a thamosan. In that word, the way that John's using it, um, I don't think he's wondering or admiring it in the sense of, oh my gosh, this this whore of all the earth is so awesome. I think the word can mean to marvel or to be astounded. It can be used so many uh, different ways. It's used 43 ways in the New Testament. And so my reading of this is not that he's admiring her, but that he's just like blown away by the power that she has. And we're not going to do it in the podcast and you're certainly not going to teach this, but just know verse nine here is the mind, which hath wisdom. So we're, we're talking about this wisdom literature. Again, we're talking about this, the breadcrumbs, these hints that are given in the text. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. That's verse nine. To me, that's Rome. But then he says this, there are seven Kings, five are fallen. One is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. A lot of ink has been spilled on this. Is he talking about the emperors of the persecution? I think so. I'm not going to get specific here, but we'll put it in the show notes. If you're one of those people where you're like, I want to read about this, just know that there's a lot of stuff happening here. What we think we're, what we think that John's doing is that he's referencing the powers of his, of his time period. And so verse 14, uh, this whore is making war with the lamb. But notice, once again, we're back to the central message of the text. Verse 14, the lamb shall overcome. So that's his message. Where's the woman? Verse 15, she's sitting on peoples, nations, multitudes, tongues, peoples. That's what the waters are. The waters are everywhere, but she's going to lose. She's going to fall. So in Christian history, when Rome fell, a lot of the Christians read and said, well, there it is. The the woman has fallen. Uh, but like I said, we're back to perpetual relevance. Have empires risen and fallen since the time this was written? I mean, we have 2,000 years of history behind us, Bryce. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, this, this is happening. And so... And what's interesting is we ought to throw in, I know we've said this before, but in verse 16, it's not that good defeats evil as much as it's evil turns on evil. And so in verse 16, the ones that she overcame are the ones that hate her and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. The very people she deceived are going to turn on her. Pretty evil graphic. destroys evil. Yeah, pretty graphic stuff. So so I like that. I don't remember the verse in the Book of Mormon you read, but it was about... Verse Nephi the, 22, verse 13, where it says yeah. that evil destroys evil. I think that's really important. I, I really do, especially if you're one of those people where you're like, oh, I just can't believe in a Jesus that would wreck people. And you, know, you can take this text of the 17th chapter of revelation and you can read it this way and see verse 16 just really uh, has relevance so anyway that's what i have on 17 18 is 
over and over again, he's going to say it happens in one hour. I mean, it's in verse 10. Oh my gosh, it's happened in one hour. Verse eight, it happens in one day. This idea that it happens so fast and they cry and they weep. Look then at verse 19. In one hour, she is made desolate over and over again. Look in verse 21. A mighty angel took up a stone like a millstone and cast it into the sea. Thus with violence shall the great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. couple thoughts on that. The chaos is thrown back into the chaos. And a millstone is around her neck. Now there's another reference to a millstone in the New Testament. And when the Savior talked about people that hurt children, and he says, better were it that a millstone was hung around their neck and they're cast into the sea. A millstone, we don't think about this because we just go get our bread at the store. But anciently, you'd have to take your wheat and grind it under this really heavy stone. And so the imagery is powerful. And I think, once again, there's multiple layers to this. My, this is my Mike Day interpretation. But to me, Babylon is attacking the family. It's attacking that which is of Christ. And if you think about what is the family, it's a protection. It's a layer to protect children. And so in, this, is, I, this is just kind of how I view wickedness. But I see so much of the wickedness in the world, the victims are the kids. And so I see that millstone image, to me, just pops in the text. One more thought. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I bet, Bryce, you're probably going to do this too. But I really like that word in verse 14. They're sad because they lost their dainties. And anciently, once cultures got their necessities met, they have food and clothing and shelter, they got really busy making dainties. They got busy making idols and things that aren't necessary. And today we live in a world where we're filled with dainties. We don't really have to think about our daily bread, most of us. Now, is there poverty? Certainly. But especially in the West, and we, it's, we it, obsess I, about dainties, don't we, Bryce? Verse 3, delicacies. Seven, delicious. Nine, delicious. I think cinnamon's in there, too. I love cinnamon. Yeah, you've got dainty, delicious, delicacy. Such a great image. Yeah. And that's what she puts in the trap. She she lulls you out with dainty delicacies. Yeah, gold. Look at verse 12. Silver and gold, purple and linen and scarlet. But what's funny is you can just notice notice this con ready. Verse 13 Cinnamon, odors, ointments, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, beasts, sheep. And then watch how stark this ends. Yeah. Horses, chariots, slaves, and the souls of men. Yeah. I mean, this is not a nice woman. Yeah. She may offer you cinnamon and purple yeah. and ivory, but she will steal your very soul and enslave you. Yeah. And that's just such a contrast there. Dainty delicacy thing. I, I love what Hugh Nibley says in Approaching Zion where he says, he calls it the Mahan principle where Cain, if I'm getting this right, Cain kills Abel and he's like, oh, now I'm master Mahan, the master of that great secret. I've taken your property. I've converted life into property. And I remember Bryce, you and I talked about this one time. Well, if you kill him, you only get him once. But if I can hook him, if I can get somebody hooked on my product, and enslave them. Now I've converted them into property. And if you think about the world we live in, brothers and sisters, where so much of humanity is converted into property. And I, we're back to perpetual relevance. I'm going to throw this out there too. I think a lot of verse 12 and 13, a lot of that is 
we're punning again. This is John punning on the text. And he's talking about temple. A lot of that stuff is temple. Uh, gold and silver, precious stones and pearls and fine linen. This stuff's in the temple. And so what does this woman do? Because she's a counterfeit. She's building her house. And so there's a lot happening here. But uh, I love the word dainty. Highlight it in your scriptures. Do you chase the dainties and you miss the point? Don't be that guy. Let me just add one thought. I, there's something very deep and hidden in chapter 18, verse 6. Reward her even as she rewarded you. Double unto her, double according to her works. And I just, it, there's, a, there's an interesting phrase that appears throughout the scriptures. Let me just quickly yell these verses out and you can go find them later but in acts chapter 1 verse 25 notice where judas iscariot went after he committed suicide it has a very interesting phrase it says he went to his own place and then if you'll go to the allegory in jacob chapter 5 of the tame and the wild olive tree where are the wild fruit sent when where does the wild fruit get sent at the very very end the last verse they are sent to their own place and then notice in chapter six when jacob makes a commentary verse three he caught of all the things he comments on he commented on how cursed are they who are sent to their own place so that's in the bible that's in the book of mormon then if you'll turn to the doctrine and covenants section uh, 88 notice in verse 29 he talks about the resurrection of the celestial people Verse 30, the resurrection of the terrestrial, and then verse 31 is the resurrection of the telestial. So who would be left by verse 32? It would just be the sons of perdition, right? So 29, 30, and 31, we've resurrected celestial, terrestrial, and telestial. So verse 32, anyone who came to earth, got a body, will be resurrected. They will be, the sons of perdition who got a body will be resurrected, but then where they will, will they be sent in verse 32? Their own place. And then one more. How about Satan and the third that followed the third part? DNC 88 verse 114. Satan and his hosts will be sent to their own place. Now that, that's too many to ignore. That's too many to not see a pattern. Numerous times in the scriptures, the evil are sent to their own place. Now I think that's very poetic. Because they are receiving what they wanted. Reward her even as she rewarded you. They're receiving. In other words, if you want to live your life your way, then your reward is whatever you can make of it because you can't have God's reward. You cannot get one of his places. You can't go to a kingdom of glory, which is one of his glories, because you lived your way. So if you live your life your way, you will be rewarded by whatever you can get for yourself. Reward unto her whatever she deserves. Now contrast that with John chapter 14 at the Last Supper. Jesus says, first of all, he says in verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place. And then in verse 6, I am the way. So if you want a place in God's kingdom, you have to do it his way. You live his way. You get his place. If you don't, if you live your way, 
your reward will be whatever place you can make of yourselves. And so I love, there's just a little hint here in Revelation 17, reward her even as she rewarded you. She was always concerned about herself, never concerned about you. Um, there's this telling moment in King Noah's life where he cries out and says, let, you know, tells Gideon, don't destroy me. I need to save my people. But then there's the insight for Mormon where he adds, he wasn't concerned about his people. He was concerned about himself. This harlot, this whore that you thought was your friend is not your friend. She's only concerned about herself. And so her reward will be whatever she can make of herself without God's help, without a place in God's kingdom, because she didn't want to live his way. And so I think this applies to everyone. Um, reward, reward. Everyone gets rewarded according to what you want. If you lived a selfish, self-consumed life where your only concern was yourself, then you're going to go off and you get you can build whatever kingdom you can make for yourself. But you can't have one of God's kingdoms. You can't have one of God's places. The only people who get one of God's places are the people who lived God's way. And so very symbolic yeah. that in the end, the whore is told, you got it. You got everything that you wanted for yourself because you can't have what God wanted for you. Yeah, you get to choose. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to a fun word. So... I'm, an, I'm a word nerd, Bryce. It's the word sorcery at the end in verse 23. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. This woman peddles in sorcery. Uh, when the movie Harry Potter came out, a lot of people thought, oh my gosh, this is it. This is the end times. And I'm not that guy. I kinda, I'm starting to read Harry Potter. I actually kind of like it. The word sorcery is pharmakia. And if you've ever heard the word pharmacy, that probably comes out of that Greek word. And it is it literally means the use of administering drugs. Could it be poisoning? It could be. Uh, but I think that's a better interpretation than somebody with a big black cauldron putting the, you know, the newt tail in a, in a big cauldron there. There was a guy by the name of Pablo Escobar that was in South America, and he had a cartel that made a lot of cocaine, and he ends up getting killed by uh, agents that are tired of his antics. But at the height of his power, he brought in an estimated $420 million a week in revenue, supplied 80% of the world's cocaine and smuggled 15 tons of cocaine into the United States per day. I think that is something that really kind of, if you wrap your brain around just what does $420 million look like? And imagine that per week. In other words, a massive global empire built upon this chasing of this chemical that, that changes us. I think that has relevance. I think this is what John's talking about. I don't think he's talking about the Harry Potter books there. That to me is pretty interesting to see how once again the book of revelation has perpetual relevance so the horror goes down i think big picture of 17 and 18 is the horror goes down uh it happens in one hour uh it's this self-destruction of the wicked killing the wicked they're chasing the dainties and the bottom line is there is no peace there is no rest in following uh babylon the only rest is in christ and that is one of the main messages of basically chapters 14 through 18. So with that in mind, we'll end here and we'll come back and we will give our last podcast. It will be Revelation 19 to the end. Marriage of the Supper. The marriage of the Lamb has come. Yep, and we'll do that next time. Thank you.